Well, we want to welcome everyone to church today. Um, and, you know, if you've been going to church, Easter is a day um, that, you know, we know the story. And so even preparing, everyone, it's, it's a tough sermon to prepare, right? Because everyone knows the story. And if you divert from the story, then uh, it's a bad sermon. So you got to stick to the story everyone knows. Um, and yet, at the same time, it's a story worth retelling, isn't it? Um, and I don't know what story is within your family, your household that you retell right? When you first met your wife or when you first had your child or, or the first time you, you received, you know, a job offer, whatever it is, and you retell that story over and over because it is so wonderful and this story is that wonderful. And today we look at this story and, but you know, I, I titled this the, uh, the solution to our biggest, our greatest problem. And uh, you could probably guess our greatest problem that we have to face is the problem of death and sin, that we would die, and then what happens next? Um, I was uh, at a dinner with a couple of old college friends recently, and we were talking about some of the old times, as we do, and the memories become more sparse as the years have gone on, and we were thinking back, and I was reflecting back on our time, and out of all of my roommates um, during my four years at college, um, four of them had already passed away, and we, talked, we were talking about that. And it was kind of a somber mood as we were talking about our friends. One, uh, his name is Joe Solomon, he passed away in his 20s, uh, diving, or, or, or he drowned, um, uh, whitewater rafting. I had a, another friend who passed away in his 30s from stomach cancer. He was a friend from high school, went to college with me, lived with me. I presided over his funeral. Had a friend, another friend in his 40s who passed away. Uh, his widowed wife, I remember the week or so after that he had passed, uh, showed up to our church on an Easter Sunday uh, years back. And then during COVID, I had another roommate of mine, a friend that I had since high school, pass away uh, from complications from health. And it was in the height of the beginning of the kind of the panic of COVID and I officiated and uh, presided over his funeral, and we were given 10 minutes by Rose Hills. Everyone had to stay in their cars, and you had 10 minutes, and uh, we said goodbye in a very short and difficult time. 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and it seems like uh, it's not going to end, and the, uh, the downer or the harsh reality that we all know is that eventually it's all of us. Um, it's all of us. And we don't think much about it. We try to avoid it. We use different words to soften the pain of it. We would say someone passed or someone went to be with the Lord, but it is, we're talking about death and the hardships of it. And it's Hebrews 9, 27. It says, just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. And so it is something that we all face. And so the death is difficult, but the judgment is even worse. That the moment that we go from this earth, we face judgment. And the judgment is a life of perfection that God requests and demands of us. He tells us to be holy, for He is holy. And so we come before Him, and all of us stand guilty. And obviously the answer to this is that Christ Himself died, rose again, lived a perfect life, sinless. And so His righteousness is what theologians call imputed to us. We get the credit from him, and so we get to go into the kingdom of God 
through his righteousness. Uh, you know, when you think about life and how we ought to live, you have to think about the origins. You have to think about the destiny, the beginning and the end. It gives us value to our lives. It makes us understand why we ought to live, why the Easter Sunday, this day is such a big deal. And it brings now a context to this, you know. And so a lot of times we um, don't think about our origins. We don't think about our destiny. And we just live in the here and now. It's kind of like trying to watch a movie. And I don't know if you've ever done that, but you maybe, you know, I've done this many times with my wife. She'll be in the middle of some drama. The ones she likes to watch have like 2,000, ep- no, not 2,000, but like 30 episodes, right? And she's on 14. And I'm coming and I don't understand the thing. And I keep asking, who is that guy? Who did he like? Didn't he like that other girl? Oh, that was a different drama. Okay, no, then who? And I'm asking these questions, and she's like, just trying to explain. Go, go upstairs, you know? Go watch some golf highlights upstairs. Like, no, go, go, go. It's like trying to watch a movie without knowing the beginning or the end. The middle part becomes meaningless, and you might have caught a scene on YouTube of um, an action movie, and you catch a scene, but I don't know who the good guy is. I don't know who the bad guy is. You have to know the beginning to see the value of life. You have to see the end to see that life is more than what we see here. And so today we um, think about this. You know, there's secular studies today that show and that argue that thinking and pondering about our own mortality helps us to live better. It helps us to live well. It is the a writer of Ecclesiastes who says it is better to enter into a house of mourning than a house of feasting. You learn. You sober up. You realize how you ought to treat people, how life is short, and what is real, what is important. It is Socrates who said that the unexamined life is not worth living, and today we want to just pause and examine our origins, our destiny, and how we ought to live now in Christ, right? The beginning, number one, the origins. We are created in the image of God. That's why it is such a, a value that we see in the dignity of a human being. That's why we often remember the birth of a child and it impacts the parents tremendously. They've just met this child for a few minutes and they are willing to give their life for this child because there's something infinite uh, in value of this child because We are created in the image of God. And that helps to understand now why we might mourn over the loss of a loved one. Many of us here have lost loved ones in your life. You never change. You never forget. It is not like losing a a pet or losing property because there is value in the person made in the image of God. 1 Corinthians 15 is a whole argument and basically ends with the climax at the end of saying we have victory in Christ. Uh, I didn't, we didn't print all of it, but in 1549, it tells us this, right? That we are created in the image of God. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, this is talking about Adam, we have, we're made after Adam and Eve, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Jesus Christ, the greater Adam, the better Adam, the one now we are wanting to be with and like. So there is this kind of the human side, there is the flesh and blood, and then there is the spiritual side, the eternal side. 
And we are created in God's image in this way. In church history, they use this phrase often, imago Dei, made in the image of God. You are made in the image of God. You are a reflection of God in this way. And we often have these moments where we felt a connection to God. It might be walking in a field and seeing a flower or seeing a sunset or seeing stars at night or having a certain thought or listening to a certain song and it sparks something. You say, there's something more than life. They, they surveyed Americans and they say 75% of Americans have had an experience with the transcendent. They've had moments, spiritual moments, when they said life is more than what I see and smell and touch here. There is a spiritual life out there. Uh, Peter Berger, the sociologist, describes this as the signals of transcendence, that we all have, we all receive signals of the transcendence. Uh, Os Guinness uh, further explains this. He talks about this, and he talks about how the Irish have a term, um, and he explains it, and the term is thin places. Have you been to a place where you've had the experience of thin places. Thin places describe places or experience where the membrane between the seen and the unseen, he says, the natural and supernatural is barely there. Heaven and earth are only a few feet apart. Signal of transcendence is like having a knife thrust through the membrane in this thin place. Thin places. And there are times, life here on earth and the transcendent life, the life with God, Boy, it just seems like we're right there. We've had moments in this room, in this high school room here, the stage, where just hearing the music and the prayers, and there's been moments of that, where it's like God came and he touched us in this way. And we've all had this, you know. It is the poet Chris Wyman who talks about these moments, and he argues in this way. He says, really, You've never felt overwhelmed by and in some sense inadequate to an experience in your life. Have never felt something in your life staking a claim beyond yourself. Some wordless mystery straining through the words to reach you. Never. Religion is not made up of those moments. Religion is the means of making the, these moments part of your life rather than a merely radical intrusion. And so there is a God. We experience that with the infinite love we feel towards another. We experience that at moments we feel like God is sure whispering in my ear. God is guiding me. God is helping me. God is here with me. I am created for more than this. There are times where your favorite pastime, your favorite things and hobbies, all of a sudden become meaningless because you say, life is more than this. It's because of our origins. We're made in the image of God. So we look back to the beginning and we're made in the image of God, but we look to our destiny. Where are we headed? The Bible here in the passage we read talks about and uses these words. Verse 53, 54 talks about these words perishable, mortal. Right? For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass a saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. The Apostle Paul 
points. And you see this little word here. The NIV omits this. Uh, this perishable. This word this. This perishable. This mortal. He's pointing to himself. He's pointing to our broken down bodies. Our decaying bodies. He goes, this, this thing. It's getting older. And it will become now imperishable. Must put it on. The mortal body, this mortal body, must put on immortality. Death is swallowed up in victory, he says. This word, perishable, it describes something that decays, something that's rotten away, decaying. Uh, mortality describes, obviously, death, and immortality is a word that literally means deathlessness. You do not have death. We are obsessed with our youthfulness. Uh, youth kind of signals that we are further away from our death, and so we are obsessed with this today. You know, when you're younger, and if you've ever been carded or questioned, get kind of excited. Oh, they think I'm older, right? But when you're older and you get carded, you get really excited. You're like, oh, gosh, you know, that's wonderful. I was at the airport in New Orleans coming back from our Mississippi uh, mission trip. I was sitting at one of those airport restaurants with a little bar there in a restaurant. And next to me was a man who looked just like Santa Claus. So I kept looking at him. I'm like, he looks just like Santa Claus, right? Um, so I'm sitting there with some uh, cheap salad with a little fork eaten away, and then he orders a beer to the bartender. The bartender, she looks like a gal who was maybe barely 21. He says, let me get whatever. He orders a beer. And she says, sir, can I see your ID, please? And I was I'm really curious, and I looked, and I was trying not to stare, but I was staring, and I was eavesdropping, because I was by myself. I was like, oh, how's Santa going to handle this? Um, and he says, and then he got really angry, and he said to her, use some common sense, look at me, and I almost spit out the, the croutons in my mouth, and I was like, oh my gosh, and so I looked the other way, because I didn't know Santa was so mean, and um, she says, I just got to do my job, and uh, I look, and I was trying to avoid eye contact with everyone in the whole little restaurant, because everyone was on the verge of laughing out loud. And uh, old Santa Claus dug into his back pocket, pulled out a wallet you would imagine Santa Claus to have. It was this thick, all right? And he pulled it out of his jean back pocket. And there, you know, you would imagine, right? There was a perfect space where it was, the white outline. Anyway, so he pulled it out and showed. And um, he goes, oh, okay, you're over 21, you know, and gave him the thing. We're obsessed with this today. There's a man I read just recently a man named Brian Johnson, who is a multimillionaire, who is 45 years old, and his goal is to, quote-unquote, cure death and aging. And so he is trying to hack his body so that he would stay, quote-unquote, 18 years old for his whole life. 18 years old, right? He doesn't know how much auto insurance is for an 18-year-old male. But anyways, um, so he diets daily. He eats 1,977 uh, vegan calories a day, right? Vegan calories means yucky calories a day, right? Nine, 1,977. Um, today, you're going to have more than 1,977 when you go back. Um, he has 25 different types of exercises. 
He sleeps at the same hour every night, two hours before. He makes sure to put on his blue light blocking glasses. And he goes, undergoes a monthly battery of tests. Every month, he hires doctors and nurses to come in. He goes through an MRI, ultrasound, even colonoscopies every month. I was stuck on that. I said, a monthly colonoscopy. So if you live to 100, that is 1,200 colonoscopies. Most of us dread one every 50 years. So it's better to just go, right, in this sense. It is C.S. Lewis who talks about the immortality of who we are. He says this, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. The person next to you is an immortal. The person next to you is going to live forever. Death is not the end for the person next to us. It is something more than that. There is an eternal value of the person. And our problem is now sin. Are we with God or are we without? Do we go to heaven or do we go to hell? And the problem is solved in Christ as he died, rose again, and becomes that substitute offering for us. So how now shall we live as we know this? If we know where we come from, that we are made in the image of God, we have eternal value because we're made in his likeness, in his image. The, uh, Genesis 1 uses both words, likeness and image, and theologians have tried to figure out what do they mean. We're made like God. We have morals. We have emotions. We have memories. We have a spiritual uh, life. We are not mere animals that evolved from some creature that was created. We're made in the likeness and the image of God. How now shall we live? And he says this here in verse 57 and 58. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers... Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. How now shall we live? We ought to live a victorious life. Uh, the theologians talk about how this, verse 57, but thanks be to God, this great word, but thanks be to God, the very opposite. Life is not just here and now and death but thanks be to God. The opposite happens. There's a U-turn that happens there. And then in verse 58, there's that word, therefore. It tells us now how we ought to live. And anytime you read in the, the letters in the Bible, in the epistles, and the word therefore is interjected, it's now telling us since this is true, the preceding part is true, this is now how you ought to live. Since you have victory in Christ, since you are no longer uh, ending in death, but that you will live forever. How now shall we live here today? I want to focus just on one word. It says, always abounding, verse 58, in the work of the Lord. Abounding, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So, we give thanks to God. We have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 58, we are abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now, if life is over at the grave, 
And that is it. And there is no Lord. There is no resurrection. There is no mortal becoming immortal, seeing immortality. If that is the end of it all, we ought to live as frugal as possible. We ought to use it all for ourselves. Why share with anyone when it is just my short life here and nothing is guaranteed? I ought to spend every dollar I have and every gift that I have and use all of my talents to lift myself. I ought to just live in a way that's pleasurable. I ought to experience every type of pleasure there is. But what does he tell us? He says, don't be a frugal person in life. Be abounding. The abounding person. I want to encourage you as you hear the gospel message, as you walk away today, think of that word, abounding. Let your love be abounding. This word abounding, it means an abundance, generous. It's used in the gospels to describe when Jesus fed the masses from the five loaves and two fish. And they picked up all the leftovers. And he says the leftovers, it was so much, it was abounding. There was so much. You could imagine Jesus having a feast. And it is abounding. It is the greatest of buffets. And he says, let your life be in this way. Because your life is in the Lord. Your future is in the Lord. The Lord sees and values what you do. And so today we think about this. Where am I from? I'm made in the image of God. Where will I go? I will be in front of God. And death is not the end. And so I will be abounding in my life. We are not, friends, zombies out there that are running after the cravings of our flesh. And oftentimes there are people today that live more like the zombies in these movies that we see. What do I want to eat? What do I want? And I just go after those things. And we live for the here and now. We are more than that. We are called to an abundant life. So let your life be filled, nothing cramped, narrow, frugal, but the genuine Christian life is one that is in abundance, generous. Those of you who are serving God, serve all of your days. Those of you who want to buy someone a meal, buy them the best one you can afford. Those of you that pray, pray not just for yourself, pray for nations, pray for the church, pray for your neighbors. Those of you who feel like, man, I'm not sure if that person knows me or likes me, go walk across the room. Be abundant in your hospitality. That is what God sent for us. His perfect gift in Jesus Christ. Not a created being, not an angel as some of the cults believe, but the eternal Son of God came, and He died. He took on the penalty of sin, went through silence Saturday, and He rose again on Resurrection Sunday. And when the people went to find Him in the tomb, they said, He is not here. He has risen. And our life has changed forever. The disciples running out from that room, the women running out from that, witnessing that their lives have changed forever. And throughout the centuries, those who have placed their faith in Christ have lived a life of abundance. And so this is my prayer and message to us here today. Start a faith journey with God. You are not a zombie that's living for the here and now. You're created in His image. 
to do his good works. Those of you who are walking with God and you've been through Easter's, may your life be defined in abundance. Give more, give as much, do as more, do as much as you can. Because you will see the Lord one day. And we will long to hear those words, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray together, could we? We thank you, Lord, and all that we have in you. So, Lord, we come here and we think about these transcendent moments we have with you that you have drawn us to you. We are spiritual beings. When we look at even a a baby or a child, and we see their value, and Lord, it affects us, because Lord, they are all made in the image of God. And so we who come from you, we need to go back to you. Death is not the end, the grave is not the end. Lord, we are people of hope, because you have conquered the grave. Where, O death, is your victory? Oh, we say that. And now we want to live a life of radical, abundant faith. Help us to do that, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name.